So, hey, 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 podcast listeners, this is the Future Mapping Podcast, since this is the first episode, you don't know what it is, maybe, but, so, mapping, obviously, is something on YouTube, mostly, where you'll show how the countries change over time, or places, and often, or sometimes, these will go into the future, for example, it'll be like, oh, like, 2750 to 3000 AD, and it'll be like, oh, Algeria gets big, but then Russia is just Moscow. So sometimes you'll have things like that, or other times it's a bit more recent, where it's like, oh, Trump's here, and he takes over Canada, and Mexico, and Guatemala, and but Costa Rica defeats the US, or something like that. But here it is basically the same thing, except over audio, so that it's just this. I'll basically just have to describe the maps to you instead of having a visual aid. But here we go. So we are going to begin on the date of this recording on December 6th, 2017. So it begins like any other day. It's December, though, relatively warm. But we're expecting something, something that is pretty rare. So on this day, at least for the last few, there's been speculation that Trump will consider Jerusalem officially as Israel's capital. And this is a bit interesting, to say the least, as half of the city is controlled by Israel and the other half is controlled by Palestine. So by identifying it all as Israeli, this could bring up some conflict between the countries that support Palestine versus the ones that support Israel. So, the day begins. So, nothing much happens in the beginning. It just plays out normal. But then, around 3 or 4 o'clock, we get that expected message. He has a big press conference to announce that Jerusalem is officially, or always has been, Israel's capital. And it deserves to be that way. So, this statement obviously increases or makes better U.S.-Israeli ties, but negatively affects those of people living in Jerusalem and their allied nations, so Iran, Iraq, and mostly, like, a lot of the other Muslim nations in the area condemned this. So, what happens? So, for the next few weeks, maybe even a few months into 2018, not much happens. Christmas goes by. I mean, all the threats and things that these countries like Iran and Turkey make, it none of them are actually come to fruition. It's just talk and not much action. But something sort of unexpected happens. So Iran continues to develop their programs, let's just say, and to the U.S. dismay. So, I'd imagine that some U.S. news agency would um, sort of keep expanding on one of these, making Iran seem like more of a threat. So, the public's attention slowly, instead of being entirely focused on North Korea, begins to be more focused on Iran again. So, so with this, U.S. has a common friend or common enemy, where U.S. can agree with both Saudi Arabia and Israel here that they all don't like Iran. 
So this puts Iran in a pretty tough place. They don't quite know what to do. You're surrounded by people that don't really like you very much. So the, and the only way that they can actually fight in these people without starting some international war is just by funding proxy wars like the one in Yemen. So Israel takes note of this, and they send down some volunteer forces from the Israeli army to fight on the Saudi side in Yemen. And this is a pretty this is a pretty extreme measure because it's Saudi Arabia has done blockades of Yemen for a long period of time which have cut aid from the region which is on the brink of famine. So sending Israeli troops in here might not be viewed in the best light, though still they do. The troops well, it'll end in five seconds, so it'll be next one. Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm really new to this, so I don't quite know how it works. But anyway, as I was saying, so Israel sends down these volunteer divisions to the city of Zinjibar in the south, east of Aden. And here they stay fighting against the Iranian forces. Now, this puts Iran in a pretty tough place. Now they have another enemy to deal with in the region, or at least somebody who's fighting against them, be a proxy. So, what they do is something interesting. Iran sends out an application to join the CSTO with Russia. And this would be all over the U.S. news that Iran is joining Russia in this union. And so... About a week later, so this is around maybe Mar middle of March 2018, you have the, so you have Putin, and he has to decide what to do. So you have Iran down there, who is, I'd say, pretty strong, with a lot of these enemies. But as Putin figures it, you can't, you don't have much else to lose. A lot of these people don't like you already, so it couldn't get much worse by just allying with one more country, so he accepts the application, and Iran joins the CSTO. This makes an interesting sort of conflict of interests in the area, because now you have countries like Israel sending troops via proxy to fight a CSTO nation, which is allied with Russia. So, it's like a friend's it's, it's sort of difficult situation for the US because if you keep supporting Israel here they're just gonna send troops to fight Iran who's backed by Russia so Israel retracts their troops or at least they say they do to stop fighting to avoid a conflict so what I mean by saying that they removed them from service is that they didn't actually. They just made them carrying a new banner, let's say. So now, instead of carrying the banner of Israel, they'd be carrying the banner of Saudi Arabia. So, closer to mercenaries now, but that's just how it happens. So, there was... In this alternate timeline, one of these troops who's fighting is this half is this Israeli American guy. So, Tom Yashom, 
He's a soldier fighting in the new mercenary-like unit of Israeli soldiers fighting in Yemen. And he is there, and he kills an Irani soldier. Now, normally this would stir up much conflict, except that this guy had American citizenship. He's a dual citizen of Israel and U.S. So, in Tehran, all the media is reporting about this American man who killed a lawfully acting Iranian soldier. See, the details are disputed, but you can embellish them a little. It's, it's just news. But, so, all over Iranian media, you have this big conflict. In the U.S., obviously, there's much talking about it until they actually realize what's going on. But it gets to Russia first. So when you're in St. Petersburg or Moscow on the news, on RT and all that, you see that the Russian ally of Iran had a soldier attacked by a, an evil U.S. one, as they would say, possibly insane, forced into the army, based on evil ideals, things like that. And back in the U.S. when they get word of this, no one is particularly happy. It, in fact, stirs up a lot of fear within the U.S. citizens as you have Russia, which many consider to be a large foreign power, putting on their new statements directly against a U.S. citizen, which to many people would be almost, but not quite, a declaration of war. So, this is what happens in March 2018. And later, other things. After what happened in March, you have some of these militia-like forces down in the South and in these far-off places in the U.S. declaring their mini wars against Russia, not quite full-scale conflicts that we consider, but more of a personal hatred of a foreign nation where you'd have these people saying in their groups like, oh, if I ever see a Russian again, I'm going to kill them for them talking about our American soldiers this way. It's not the thing to do. So you have these personal conflicts that sometimes stir over into the political. So big international scandals now happening because of this. Not to help this anymore, you have North Korea, who's who just tests in April 2018 a new type of missile, one that could easily carry a nuclear warhead to American soil. And for some people in America, this is the sort of breaking point of what they can take in terms of threat without action. They don't really think that just maintaining the status quo is an option anymore when you have all these threats happening around you. So you have a man. His name is Tom Hutchins. He is trying to be elected for the Missouri senator. And one of the main promises he makes in his speeches and campaigns is that he will go to war with Russia. He will fight against these people that so many hate in these areas. Stop North Korea by force, not by talk. So, aside from 
the people that did support him, he wins by landslide vote in the area. He is elected senator of Missouri. Trump obviously backs him because he's a Republican. And now you have this new place. This guy is definitely a talker. He has a lot of... He's very good at making speeches, powerful speeches that make a lot of people believe in what he says. He keeps pulling up these references to things that happened during Soviet times, quoting famines in Ukraine due to Stalin, five-year plans, things like that. And in some of these people, makes Russia almost to them feel like another power that they might have to fight against in the near future. So... In Russia, it's beginning to look a similar way. In the north, near the Arctic Circle, Russia begins to fortify their military bases. In Provodnia, which is right near St. Lawrence Island, it's not that many miles away between Russia and the U.S. They build a massive air base with ship capabilities that could easily hold a large amount of troops that if Russia were to go to war with the U.S., it would be a pretty easy staging point. So in response to this, by an overwhelming Senate vote, a military base is also established on the neighboring island of St. Lawrence in the town of Gamble. So it is quoted here that through April, through the fog and mist across the water, you could even see some of the Russian boats and troops moving around. Even though they are your enemy, you can tell exactly what they're doing all the time, just as much as you would know if you were their friend. So, especially in Alaska, tensions just keep getting higher. Just keep escalating. And one of the ways that U.S. figures that they can get out of this, or at least fulfill some of these people's requests or desires without going on a full-scale war, would be by finding some sort of proxy war, like has been done so many past, like in the uh, Congolese Civil War or the Congo Crisis, where you just fund one side, hope that they win, and if they do, great! That means that you have a new uh, allied country in the area, and if you lose, you'll have a good talking point about why you should do it more. So... U.S. looks to South Sudan, and they figure, hey, if we send in some troops here, Russia's probably going to do the same on the other side. It's just generally what happens. So, U.S. sends down a couple National Guard divisions to Juba to fight against the rebels. And in the fighting against these rebels in Juba and Bor and Rumbek in South Sudan, more people in this army would have died of just malnutrition and attrition rather than actual fighting. So, and Russia never filled their ideal hope of sending troops to support the other side. So U.S. pulls out of South Sudan, seeming defeated, not having any of their goals fulfilled that they'd originally hoped for either way. So, for the U.S. citizens, a bit of a letdown, or at least for the government it is, Citizens feel that it's a shame that something like this would happen. It's probably Russia's fault there's a famine anyway. It's not like it's a desert or anything. But, so as this blame is being passed back and escalations just tend to simmer in the back, you have a large elephant in the room that nobody's really paid any attention to. You have China, who's doing 
a lot of trade and production for both Russia and the United States. And I mean, China with their all these huge economic plans that go through continents like One Belt, One Road, also called the New Silk Road, that plans to just connect Asia to Europe through a system of transportation links, railways, highways, um, shipping lanes, etc. They assert major global dominance like never before, except maybe not in a military way, but definitely an economic one. So, you know, all this time, Xi Jinping and his Xi Jinping thought, as he put it, are progressing the Chinese economy. Though, as these escalations of war between, or escalations of tensions between the U.S. and Russia continue, China begins to fortify their borders. They try to keep low ties, but still existing ones with North Korea. They fortify the little pass near Altay between Mongolia and Kazakhstan, where they share a short but existing border between Russia and them, and the obviously large one in Manchuria. So, they begin to fortify the border. Massive system of forts, walls, bases, troops, roads, major infrastructure projects. Takes out a large amount of their GDP to do this, but for them, if it's a way to keep them safe in the event of war, they do it. So, another thing that they do is try to put pressure on some of the other foreign governments in the area for, to make the U.S. relinquish their bases. Like in Japan, for example, China and all of the party cadres there are saying, oh, Japan, you need to get rid of these U.S. military bases now. They're a threat to the security of all of Asia. And Japan, some of the people do agree, but not the government. Hodo Akihito and um, a lot of the Japanese people. Are... So Akihito and Shinzo Abe, they both don't submit to the Chinese claims, so China just has to try a bit harder. But China has a very large military, which they're modernizing at a very rapid rate. So which side they go to can be really influential in the fight. If they're going to ally with the U.S., Russia would have to fight a two-front war. If they were going to ally with Russia, U.S. would have to face naval invasions from multiple locations. So China was very important here. So, June 5th. 2018. A phone rings from the table in Beijing. It's a call from Vietnamese leader. He suggests that in all this tension between the U.S. and Russia, Iran joining the CSTO and such, Vietnam, one of China's good friends, should join. They should make their own faction together. I mean, Vietnam and China have been allies historically, so becoming allies again wouldn't be too far-fetched. So, the Communist Party Congress in Beijing takes a vote on it, along with some Vietnamese dignitaries there, and it passes. It allows China to build military bases there, and also lets them assert their claims in the South China Sea a bit more. I mean, China does promise some economic growth here, if Vietnam's willing to let up on their claims a bit, just enough for China to get the Spratly Islands and such. So... Right now you have three factions. You have NATO, you have CSTO, and now you have this new um, Sino-coalition, let's call it. And even though it just starts as two nations, just Vietnam and China, 
This could become something bigger later. Though the faction may have seemed small to begin with, nobody would know where it could expand to in the future with these growing tensions. So, summer 2018 goes by. Not too much happens. The Yemeni Civil War continues. So does the South Sudanese one. Conflicts still exist. It's just people don't quite know what to do. A lot of small countries are in tough positions, like Bhutan, where they're stuck between India and China, and historically they have, haven't had great ties with China much, as they banned the communist and social democratic parties in the country, which, at least the communist one, was supported by China, so now it's an exile in eastern uh, Nepal. So, Bhutan doesn't know what to do. I mean, they're just stuck here in this, because if they get attacked from either India or China, they'll be crushed, they'll be destroyed almost instantly. They barely have an army at all, and if they do, it wouldn't stand much chance against the giant ones of these two largest countries on Earth. So, Bhutan holds her breath a bit, and asks a question to Nepal. That's interesting. It was to form one country, to unify instead of just being separate, even though they still would have the little pass between them. They ask to join together as a means of protection so that they would just have one army and one way of organizing and coordinating everything to protect themselves from either country. So, even though Nepal and Bhutan don't have the best relations, a vote is held in Kathmandu and in Punaka, and in both places there is a majority vote for yes. A bit less so in uh, Punaka, as many people are staunch monarchists that feel Bhutan should be there, but that was a bit off topic. But anyway, so this new Nepali-Bhutanese nation is created. It was something like the Himalayan Union. And one thing that they definitely press India for letting go is letting go of is that little pass between their two areas in the east and in the west. Because they know if you have those little if you have areas separating these countries, it might not go too well. I mean there's a reason Bangladesh is independent from Pakistan. So the new country forms it doesn't increase world tension much. I don't think many people consider either Nepal or Bhutan much of a threat. But it does say something that some countries, smaller ones at least, are willing to set aside their differences to become stronger against these large threats that are being created in these recent times. So, the new country exists. August 2018 rolls around. It marks the birthday of the American soldier who killed the Iranian one in Yemen. So, in Tel Aviv, he has his birthday party. It's just like normal. Well, it's a small birthday party. As they're singing happy birthday and the final lines come out of the relatives' mouths, something else comes into the room. A bullet comes through the window and kills the soldier and some of the members of his family. There is 
at the time, no idea who did it, though it was suspected either Iranian or Palestinian sort of rebels were doing it. But nothing was known at the time. It was just that this soldier was gunned down in his house for no reason. I mean, he had returned home, even though he had killed the even though he had killed the Iranian soldier, that was a while ago. So to many in the U.S. and Israel, it was a bit unexpected. It became, just as it was in Iran, the other way around, it was a major thing in the U.S. You had people coming up with these fake news stories online saying that they were Russian spies killing American soldiers and diplomats all over the world to destroy America from within. And amazingly, a lot of people got to believe that story, which made things. How much are you concerned with like population changes, specifically in the United States of America, how people are having a lot less children and then possibly the U.S. can't make up for it with increased amount of immigration? Yeah, good question. So. In the U.S., just like Russia, population would become a bit of a problem, unlike in some sub-Saharan African countries where population rates are through the roof. In the U.S. and Russia, it slows down a bit. So there begins to become some sort of incentive for people to have more children, maybe economic or uh, social. Though this would put a bit of a strain on the uh, people who can't afford to have children, or at least not in the beginning, even though the economic incentives might be great, it's just the original struggle that they might have to go through to get it at first. So this, in 2018, in the future, in this timeline, might put a, it might become a bit more divide. You'd have people in these communities that could just barely make the border to have children becoming a lot more rich or at least having some more money that they could use, which would separate these towns and areas a bit more than they already are, which could cause divides later. Though, yeah, thanks for the question. That was a good one. But to getting back what I was saying, so you have... U.S. media going all on about this assassination. Many people are believing all these online news things, which were most certainly fake. So, more people start getting angrier. And the world, or at least these smaller countries, just holding their breath. They don't know what to do. In the U.K., Brexit negotiations are going on. There begins to become a bit more of a border, at least a solid one, between Ireland and the UK, which to many, or at least to many in Northern Ireland and the UK, is a terrible thing to do. So, Northern Ireland, in August 2018, holds a referendum to cede from the United Kingdom, or secede from the United Kingdom, and become part of Ireland again. Now, the UK definitely wouldn't want that. They want to have a land border. It's their only one. They want to have some sort of trade, not be a boat. So, 
UK influences, let's just say this vote, to be in the favor of them keeping the pre-existing border and not becoming part of Ireland. Because UK just didn't want that. So, when the vote comes out, and people see that it says that it was something like 20% of people voted yes and 80% voted no, many were confused because there was massive public support for this in Northern Ireland and just Ireland proper. So many begin to question who did it. UK, US, NATO allies become increasingly common in the claims against them, though nobody can quite put their finger on it, not yet at least. So, Ireland begins to pursue closer ties with people that they previously might not have. They increase diplomatic ties with both China and Russia and begin to siphon off the ones that already exist with more NATO countries, so U.S., um, U.K., Canada, France, etc., just because they feel like they were influenced pretty badly by this. So you've massive public demonstrations against this border that exists and people trying to take it down by hand like the Berlin Wall. So that's what happens there. The rest of 2018 goes by, tension increases, China keeps fortifying their borders. NATO begins to lose some of its ties with smaller countries, and the CSTO grows. This is episode one of the Future Mapping series. Yeah, stay tuned for episode two. That'll come up next. Yeah, thanks for listening.